Welcome to Dave's War Cry Club. I'm Warren, and today I'm joined by my co-hosts Fred and Dave. Today we'll be going over the results of a number of recent competitive events in the last few weeks, including the competitive tournament at Adepticon. We'll also have our usual hobby update, cover a little bit of War Cry news, and talk about our latest upcoming local events. Hey, good evening, guys. How's it going? Hey, so far so good. Yeah, it's going good. So it's been a while. It's been like, I think, over a month since we recorded, I think, right? Yeah, that sounds right. Sounds it right. feels like it. Yeah, life's yeah, been busy. Um, travel, we had uh, a lot going on with work for me, but we had a lot of tournament results lately. And I had kind of the itch to kind of get something recorded here. Uh, a lot of stuff that, you know, there hasn't been a lot of coverage from Adepticon yet. Um, Salty had a little bit of coverage, went out yesterday, but uh, for the most part, like not a lot of coverage of the list or anything else like that, uh, or a lot of, or some of the other events that that uh, went on. So, yeah. but there's quite a bit that happened that sort of like led up to Adepticon, and I think we have a pretty good picture of where the state of the game is now. Yeah, so so this is not going to be um, battle reports for many of us. Um, it's just going to be us kind of looking at these lists and talking about the metagame. Yep. Well, yeah, I well, I'll talk a little bit about my Adepticon experience. I'm sure you did because I was yes. there. Yes, <clears throat> that's right. Warren attended. I was going to, and then I crashed my car. So there you go. But well, we can kind of look at it and be like, well, we we know your list, and we can kind of figure out, you know, how how you might have uh, fared against the field there. Yep. But well, so we we uh, but we'll also cover some hobby update. Uh, and there's a few other news items that we'll cover as well before we get into the uh, the tourney results. So uh, this is what I played. Uh, I could not play the competitive event. Uh, I had something else the day before, but I drove up after that, got into town about four in the morning, played the narrative event the next day. Uh, but uh, some of these I some of these were already finished, but I completed another six Stormcast Warrior Chamber uh, for the narrative event. So this is all of them kind of on my uh, on my magnetic tray there. And then here's some picks I submitted to uh, Salty Sea's painting contest of the uh, of the six that I played. So I've got a Knight Relictor. I got three protectors with the long range three inch move, one flyer uh, and one uh, sword guy, uh, a liberator with two handed sword. So everyone hits like a truck. Uh, base damage through three, five damage profiles for the most part. Uh, and uh, it felt pretty good. I was outnumbered a little bit, but most of the guys uh, can can take a round of uh, combat before going down. Um, I did have one bad uh, round where someone got spiked down from 20 down to zero, and I wound up losing that game. Yeah, that's uh, tough. Yeah, th that was my first round versus versus an untamed beast, actually. Uh, don't right. sleep on the heart eater. He is He is a monster. I played a against a list like this at Gen Con in 1.0, and it felt very, very good. Um, I was surprised by how quickly um, the uh, the spears can can kind of put those bubbles uh, all over the board. Of uh, they can spread out and just cover a ton of board with the, that three inch poke. And uh, so it's like it kind of plays a little more mobile than it looks, and uh, yeah, I think it's pretty solid. Yeah, actually, you played. Yeah, you played Justin Smith, and, he, and 
he already knows that uh, he was there and he knows that this is the, he was the inspiration for me uh, getting into Stormcast. Yep. And building around the uh, the protectors like that. Good player. Uh, we had a great game and uh, a nice guy to talk to and a good list builder had really sound theory behind all of his choices and it was fun to talk to him about it. Yep. Shout out to the Tabletop and Beyond podcast. <clears throat> uh, moving on, what do we have here? On the recent projects. Yeah, uh, really all the, the hobbying I've gotten to do lately is uh, I'm still in the building phase on my like total um, conversion chaos dwarves, but the actual band that's table ready, I finally got Karadran Overlords finished. Um, that's my list. It's two heavy weapons, a bunch of privateers, an admiral, and a mizzen master. And um, painted up, and I think they came out okay. And I think the list is probably pretty good. Uh, there's definitely, obviously, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but a really good KO list. I don't know if this is it, but um, I, th I, th I think it's depending on your loadouts. I think you, I think you either accidentally or just absorbed the the good list and built the good list. Yeah, I, I think the 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 piece that I added that I either picked up and didn't know, like subconsciously picked it up or came up with independently that I thought was a really good fit for the list was the Arknot Admiral. I like what he brings to the table. He can, um, if people charge your Grunstock Mortar, um, the Arknot Admiral can both stand back and shoot with the rest of your guys and also like discourage units from moving up because he hits very well in melee. So, and, and he's relatively cheap and he brings fight for profit. So it, it was kind of like, it, it crossed a lot of, um, crossed off a lot of things I was looking for in, in, in that slot. So uh, it slots in there real well. And what we got on the right, Dave? Yeah, that is, uh, that is my new Varengard, uh, built almost entirely out of the Turnus box. Um, that is a, uh, spare Varengard, like, axe in his hand. Um, Eternus does not come with that axe. It does come with a larger axe for him, and then, uh, I believe the, the, uh, Chaos Lord has the, uh, hammer. Uh, so you can use that, but I wanted the axe, so... And then the uh, base, you're going to also have to swap out if you get um, an Eternus box because it only comes with the larger demonic mount base. Um, but, but I think it came together pretty well. Uh, looks very Varengard-ish, as it should. Um, I thought... Chaos yeah, Chaosy uh, needed some color, so I decided that the mount was uh, blessed by corn. Um, if you know the lore at all on Varengards, they're 100% loyal to um Archeon, but also they have ascended from the rank so it is still thematic for them to have some background of uh of various nurgle or corn or you know whatever chaos yeah. god yeah i believe in big hammer you can give them marks too yeah yes mm -hmm. so yeah i, love the, uh, I think it came out pretty well i love how the teeth the the mount has some some chompers on it yeah yeah it's a, it's a really good kit if you can pick it up. I mean, uh, it's a lot cheaper than buying a, a Varengard box. Um, and for Warcry, you're probably only going to need one or two at the most. Two Varengard's uh, dream that I have yet to yeah. realize. But uh, yeah. I like the helmet on, on Eternus. It's a sweet Chaos helmet. Yeah, just a cool model. Mm -hmm. 
gives you a lot of cool pieces. That, is, uh, that one I, d- I did go with the uh, the Chaos Lord uh, head, which I thought was a little more uh, standard Varengardi. Yeah, uh, I agree. it's a very cool Chaos helmet. I would like at some point for no other reason than just to do it, to pick up another kit and actually just build Eternus because he is a cool model. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. And then, uh, so Hobby also includes organizing our models. <laughs> this is uh, this is me trying to go down a couple of boxes um, of packed models. This is about 70%, I think, of my actual Warcry stuff, but that's pretty much everything I can put on the table. Um, Fire Slayers front and center for some reason. I don't know exactly why, but uh, it's Chaos on the left, and uh, then it just kind of moves through the, the Grand Alliances. A little bit of everything. The the one thing I'm really missing is a lot of the bespoke warbands, but my drive to for completion have every faction is it's moving along. Impressive. Big chunk of Nurgle stuff there on the left from my big Nurgle spree. Some not safe for work 3D prints. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the giant um swamp lady with the bell there kind of to the center left was going to be my um, Chaos, uh, like, Sigor slash Gorgon. Um, it, it's about the right height and size. And then I came across the Glotkin model, and I just really like it, so I built that instead. So th- I'll probably find some use for it eventually. It could be a greater demon in Big Hammer or something. All right. And then uh, Zach's contributions here. I'll speak for him a little bit. So he, so he's branching out a little bit. He's working on, he's got a bust that's in progress and I'm not a, I'm not a big, you know, a big fan of doing busts. I, but uh, from what I understand, actually, it's look, it's coming along here from what I understand though, if you're, if you're into painting and you want to like expand your skills, like busts are a, a, a great way to do it. Cause you could just spend more time doing detail and stuff like that. And he was telling me that, so he's zenithalled everything, just zenithalled dry brush and contrast paint. And he's he's loving that. Uh, he's also working through a repaint on his Shattered Storm Vault, getting it all to a kind of a uniform black and gray uh, scheme to match his uh, starter terrain. So that's coming along pretty well, too. I kind of like how that's looking. I do, too. I like the bust a lot. And uh... I like the bronze details. Before we get into uh, other news here, let's talk about a few other things we found around the internet. So this actually just popped up like yesterday. Someone posted it on Reddit. Um, I don't know if you guys have gone to the site yet. Warcryer.net. I have not. I saw it in the group chat. But it I is a chance to check it out. It I is sweet. Just a little bit. I didn't just just the surface. I didn't didn't get deep. Yeah. So uh, as you might know, if you uh, there is no current like online resource that has everything you need. Like if you play Warhammer or Kill Team, if you play AOS, Kill Team, or 40K, there's Wahipedia, but we don't have the equivalent for Warcry, unfortunately. Um, I believe ServoScribe also does a Necromunda site, and he's also now finally started to kind of compile everything uh, in for Warcry onto Warcryer.net. Uh, so go explore that. Yeah. yeah, it's 
it's uh it's great i know he has everything from the compendium in there um i think someone let him know that the bladeborn warbands are all good all the underworld stuff so i imagine he's going to be continuing to uh uh put all that stuff in there too but it is it is great uh shout out to servo scribes it's amazing work for the community and the other the other uh page i wanted to highlight here and i i found this one so greenskins gaming on youtube um so it's hard doing battle reports. It's hard for, for me to kind of put together battle reports uh, on our podcast. But uh, what Greenskin Gaming is, is he, he uploaded like eight battle reports. And they're all like an hour long on his YouTube channel. So go check that out uh, if you want some battle reports. They you absolutely. Just binge some battle reports. I just absorb those every time I come across them. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, I always I really like to see because Warcry isn't one of the big tabletop games it's really cool these community building tools when people reach out people you know build out battle scribe create these kind of resources that really help because it can be really frustrating for a new player to want to dive in and say like okay now where do I go to learn about it and they're just like ah you just got to kind of hunt around and pick pick the pieces and, and try to fit them together yep. Warhammer community and then start going through the archives. Yes. You'll eventually find it all. So this is it's very cool. It's I, I really I really think it's great when when people um create these tools for the community. Yeah. And admittedly, like even like our channel isn't necessarily like a beginner channel either, right? Because we just go straight in, you know, deep into stats and analysis and stuff like that. So you yeah. know, I wouldn't even claim that we're like a great beginner channel. No, I don't I don't think so. I I don't, I, I I don't think that I would have much. I'm I, I don't think I would be a good teacher of this game to a brand new player. Um, so I appreciate the people that are because that is important, and um, the people who are good at that at, at, at really help grow the community. And that's important. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, also, a few weeks ago, we had a lot of activity. Uh, Someone accidentally got some, they got the wrong stuff in their box. Remember, remember this? And then people hadn't, uh, people stopped kind of talking about it, I guess. But I, I believe we figured out that this is going to be the Nightmare Quest box. Uh, Flesh Eater Quartz versus, uh, versus Stormcast. Hey, more Stormcast. That's fun. But no, but, but seriously, um, Flesh Eater Quartz, that's cool. Um, one because it's a really cool faction like just lore wise it's 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 just maybe not maximum games workshop but like right up there with like having like insane roving cannibal hordes is is you know very that grim dark fantasy stuff that they do well but also they could use some help with their both the range of models and the models themselves both of which are pretty old so seeing support for them is cool. Absolutely. You never have too many vampires, right? Well, yeah. And Flesh Eater Quartz literally have like, I don't know how many models. I forget how many is in their range, but it's not a lot. It's, yeah. they literally all have the word crypt in front of them. So, yeah. you know. It, right. It looks pretty shallow if you look at the War Cries stats. There's like one page, you're like, oh, there's nothing you can do with this. When actually, it turns out they're actually fairly deep for having Yeah, not, I mean, there's, not, there's not a lot. Units. They have a lot of interesting synergies built into them that you can kind of 
go in a couple of different directions. But, you know, your your ghouls aren't super exciting and um, they don't really have. The models are kind of samey, you know, so so, yeah, just even just different poses, different any kind of focus on the faction is cool um, to show that like Games Workshop is still interested in them as a faction. And I really like the Stormcast stuff. Yeah, there's also a ghoul baboon, too. Yeah, that's that's definitely worth noting. But uh, yeah, there it is. Yeah. I, the, yeah, I don't think the Stormcast sculpts look bad. There's some cool terrain. There's some temple terrain. I believe that's a reworked Realm Shaper engine or a repurposed one with some additional sprues. That's what mm-hmm. the 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 internet detectives were all over this for a day, and then once we figured out everything, people stopped talking about it. Yeah, but pretty cool to see. Um, I uh, the Stormcast are very Stormcasty, but but cool. I mean, I I think they look nice as far as Stormcast go, and uh, I I do like the uh, the jungly Aztec-y stuff. So, yep, cool. Box, I like hopefully a building uh, because we haven't gotten a lot of buildings lately. This also is also true. Yeah, that's true. The the Palisades, there's Palisades in their most recent box. And those are amazing, but yeah, apart from that, it's just been we've got we've been getting a lot of trees, yeah, a, tree. a lot of trees and a lot of like walkways. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's not the only leak. Also, the, the oh, it looks like we're going to have an upcoming product called Crypt of Blood. Yes. And so what this looks like is, I thought it was a bladeborne thing at first, like a direct to a direct to uh, Barnes and Noble sort of game with, with two teams, with two pre-made teams. But here you also get a sprue of terrain. And uh, the uh, the person who had this tri on Reddit um, had some more pictures. And with, this is a, a full-up Warcry box, it looks like, to kind of teach you the game. And so hmm. what I think this is, I think what this is going to be is your Warcry starter set. And it's going to come in at $99 U.S., similar to like the kill team starter set uh it has a paper mat some very very sparse terrain uh and enough to get you started playing the game yeah so now you- if nothing else it's a way to keep uh Zandire's truth seekers and the crimson court in print and available which are both kind of two cool sources of of uh decent units and, and cool models so keeping those available is, is a plus and any way you can get people into the game at a lower price point is also a good thing. Uh, yep. it's, it's a big ass to be like, well, yes, if you'd like to get started with the starter set, here's, you know, I mean, it's $180. 180, yeah. Yep. So this gets you in. Uh, also worth noting um, in the cards. So some one of the abilities changed. I think one of the cursed... I can't remember one of the, uh, the one of the Crimson Court abilities changed, I think, as well. And, or, yeah, I think it was one of them. And then also uh, Inaya's Halfborn, his his cost sure. changed a little bit, too. So this might be an, this might be a very interesting precedent for I think there might be some other guys whose costs change as well for the Crimson Court. But the Bladeborn, remember, we talked about this last time, some of the Bladeborn fighters if their old points values don't quite make sense, they're either right. overcosted or undercosted. If there's like a balance pass 
on recosting all the Bladeborn, again, that just gets everything all kind of like, you know, on the same level playing field, which would be great. Yeah, agreed. And, yeah. and again, give me, honestly, give me my reasonably costed Dower Kragen. That's, yeah, that's yep. the dream. The dream is still alive. <laughs> just give it to me. Okay, but now you guys ready to talk about Adepticon? Yes. Let's talk about list. I'll talk about list until three o'clock in the morning. Let's go. <laughs> well, first, you got to know what what they even played. So I, I think they had thirty players for this. They played four match play missions. Um, well, a couple. So it was two Rumble Pack and then two core book ones. The first one they played is Power Struggle. So there's four objectives, and you're just simply trying to take objectives, and you get and the the points values for the objectives go up each turn. So pretty straightforward objective mission there. And even though this is from the Rumble Pack, I don't believe there are any secondaries. Uh, and then next they played Reaper. And we all know Reaper. That's one of my favorite ones to teach. And then next they played Loot and Pillage. So there there's three objectives. And it's a treasure mission. But the treasures aren't just sitting out there, right? You have to get to an objective, you have to spend an action, and then you can start carrying the treasure around. And then... Is that the one there's also multiple treasures per loot? Yes, you can loot You can loot each objective twice. So there's a total twice. of six treasures in play, potentially. So I was chatting with some folks uh after the narrative tournament or at, uh, on saturday and the topic of treasure missions came up and i think actually out of all the treasure missions that are out there i think loot and pillage is the one that that people like the most so if you if you're doing a tournament pack i would include this one as your as your treasure mission so important yeah, to know and let's we'll try out. some of these tomorrow since we're going to be practicing uh rumble pack missions yeah i'm i'm my my rumble pack knowledge is all on paper i don't have any hands-on um uh experience with them so it's all it's all theory at this point yeah but of we, course we have results from this tournament that can help us you know kind of parse that theory out into fact yeah so yeah, we played a few last time, but you couldn't make it. But yeah, trust me, like once you play one of these missions like once or twice, you'll you'll kind of get it. And it really like for me, I didn't get them either until I like had played the play them once or twice. And I was like, okay, yep, I, I see how this is going. Honestly, uniformly, there's some of the better missions that GW has done, honestly. Oh, there's there's one that's really bad though. There's one where you can burn objectives. Well, there's always one that's really yeah. bad. Which yep. one? Uh, one of the one of the Rumble Pack missions, you can raise the objectives. You can just burn them to the ground, and no one can score them anymore. If you've controlled them the uh, the, the previous turn, that's that's a bad one. No one likes that one because you can just completely shut people out of the game. Right, like win the game on turn two, essentially. Like get so far ahead that that they'll never catch up. Yeah, and that's it's one of those missions. It, it's just once you figure out how. I think it's one of those where it's it's a solved 
puzzle, right? Like it's it's a known factor how to win that mission type, um, which is fine. But but some of the missions are a little more complex and have a little more fluidity, and some of them are just like if you know this plan and execute it correctly, it is the winning strategy. And that's one of the ones that I think has like a known winning strategy. Yeah. It, and not that that's a problem. It's just that it becomes completely uninteractive. Yes. Both players, if both players know how to play it, it just becomes a matter of like winning initiative on critical turns and, and rolling enough to keep up, you know, it, it, the strategy, the strategic element of it is, is pretty pre-scripted. Yeah. And then finally they ended with uh, ley lines. Uh, I don't think we've done ley lines in a while, but this is the one where you have five objectives. Uh, one starts awakened and then each turn, the player who did not have initiative can pick one to wake it up. Yeah, it's sort of the opposite. What's the one where you start with objectives and then you remove them? It's like hidden the ball. Yeah, hidden, hidden ball. ball. It's the inverse of that. Yeah. Yep. yep. It's also neat that each of these, well, loot and pillage, you look at the, you, you score up at the end of the game, but ley lines is one where you're still, uh, where you're still scoring each turn. Yeah, I tend to like the ability to score points each turn type missions. Um, but this is a good, this is a long story short. I think this is a good mission pack. I think yeah. it's nice and diverse. It shows good representations of kind of each archetype of mission. So good, good balanced mission pack. Yeah. If I had to run a tournament tomorrow, I would probably just do these four in this order and just yeah, go just like that. that. Yep. Or, and I, I would even go so far as to advertise it. Like, okay, this is the pack. These are the four we're doing go to town, figure out what you want to do. But uh, probably one of the most powerful things you can be doing that will win any of these missions would be to bring hey. a chimera. Um, all right. So the obvious caveat out of the way, if you want in-depth information um, about this list, you can certainly check in with the guy who played it, which is Dan. Uh, great guy, uh, great player, obviously, and uh, of course the proprietor of the Salty Sea Warcry channel, which we talk about on this channel a lot, and um, a lot more information about this list from its pilot is available there. Um, but with that said, um, some interesting things going on here. Obviously, I, I think, and we talked about this a little bit um, before, is... This is one, if you're looking to do one of the most objectively powerful things you can do in Warcry, this is like one of those things, right? Get the Chimera on the board with enough backup models that you're not buried by activations and let the Chimera do its thing. Um, and this is a great way to execute that. Plague Bearers are really, really good. Sloppity Bile Piper is like fine as a leader. It's not amazing, but it's fine. Uh, Dan uh, in his video said that it performed well, getting his Nurglings around the board versus Plague Bearers. And then the kind of new tech in this list is the Nurglings. Um, just to have another relatively fast unit. It's got 20 wounds. It moves five, has a bunch of attacks. Um, it, it probably outperforms two Plague Bearers. It, 
you know, for its points in a lot of different situations. It's just sort of another angle of attack the list has. So that's a relatively recent innovation that Dan had. Yeah, he said the, the reason he wanted that was because so it it one of the Achilles heels that the list has is if the Chimera comes on on turn two, you, you're a little bit behind. And then also everything else is slow. And if you if there's a if there's a mission where you need someone fast on the board, like Neuralings do have like a what a movement five, right? Yeah, they're quick. Yeah, relatively speaking. So you you give up a model in order to get access to a little bit of speed there. So he you, you could spam and get a few more models, but he chose to have a little bit more balance and a li- just a touch more speed. Yeah. For the list I was going to bring um, would be this exact list, except split the nerglings into two plague bearers. Uh, have nine models um that that was the list that i thought was probably the the best list and i think the nerglings were a great innovation to the list and add a you lot would, you would run sloppity and not uh plague bringer uh the points don't work um ah. with a plague bringer the the points are nice and clean with um with sloppity plague bearers and a chimera it's hard to fit the the uh plague see, yep. in there yeah it's a, it's a points thing i don't know that you'd need the, and we can talk about this later as well, but um, one of the first things I did with my Terrorgeist list with all of the Graveguard and stuff in it was after playing it a couple of times, cut the movement buff guy because it just feels like you have time. If you have enough models, you can get around the board okay without it. Yep. So it also but, It's also a triple. Yeah, and you want, obviously, generally speaking... You want to be direct using a triple is a big opportunity cost in a list with the chimera triple that you really want to be using all the time so there's there's pros and cons there for me it was primarily a points efficiency thing to put the sloppity in there but um obviously i think this list is really really good um i think that the nurglings are an upgrade and I think if I were to run a major tournament tomorrow, I would run this exact list with the Nurglings in it. And um, I think if you're looking to play in a large tournament, have a plan for it. I think this list is really good. So the other thing that Dan said in his report when talking about this was that the Chimera is broken at any cost. Like, what do you guys think about that statement? Um, I think that... When you make an absolute statement like that, obviously you can pick it apart. Like, for example, would it win a lot of games if it was a thousand points? Pro, you know, no, I don't. I don't think that it would. But I agree with his statement that that stat line is impossible to point yes. correctly for the game. It, it puts all of its investment points into the most high impact stats, throws on an insane ability, and then just lets it run wild. I. It's it's right. not good for the game. You could probably make it 600 points, and I, I imagine you could still win tournaments with it. Yeah. yeah. So to use a magic analogy, there's an old, there's an old question, an old magic card design question. Like if you had a card that said target player loses the game, or target player just win the game, you win the game. What is the appropriate cost of that card? And the correct answer is there is no 
appropriate cost for that card because it's inappropriately costed it, it, at any cost. Right. Yes, it, it breaks the idea of it, it attacks the game from an angle that we don't have good costing metrics for. Um, mm -hmm. And if I was going to play a major tournament, I'd play it. Um, because I, if I was going to play a major tournament, I would want to win that tournament. And I think that playing a Chimera list backed up with efficient chaff is, is a very good way to do that. But I don't think it's necessarily good for the game at this, even post-nerf. Pre-nerf, it was absurd. Post-nerf, it's still not healthy. And right. uh, I agree with his assessment that pointing it is an impossible challenge. Now, here's another question, rhetorical question. Dan did not address this one. If the chimera, so the chimera potentially busted at any cost. You might, you might be a target for you. Hey, just say, get rid of it. Get, get it out of the game. Ban it. What about the other monsters? His statement was the non-flying monsters are unplayable post-nerf. Um, and I don't know. Okay. I don't know that we've seen enough people running them. I think... Yeah, the, like, right, so they're unplayable since they don't have the mobility, so that leaves you with, like, what, Terrorgeist, potentially? Terrorgeist, the three flying monsters are the Chimera, the Terrorgeist, and the Zombie Dragon. Um, Terrorgeist is really expensive. Um... It has 50 wounds, which I like a lot. But I, I like the Terrorgeist. Um, I think that you can still make really good lists of the Terrorgeist. I think an interesting way to look at this problem for me isn't that the monsters and their point costs are the issue. It's the fact that there are a lot of factions that can surround them with 40 and 50 point chaff and still get a decent amount of models on the board. You combine those two things, and that's where you have a problem. Stormcast yeah. would have a difficult time playing a Curibidus, um or Warhydra, like even pre-nerf. It's just you can't get enough bodies around it, right? It's a perfect storm here where Plague Bearers got are, are outrageously points efficient at 50 points, and you can still fit eight models in here with a 515-point centerpiece. Like that's not good for the game. It, the, the trade-off should be if you're going to play a 515-point model that you are strapped for activations, right? You're not. <laughs> you're keeping pace with activations. Yeah. Um, my question is, Chimera aside, if we fix, if Dragon Maul is fixed, what does that make monsters? I think it makes most of the, the non-fly monsters very, very bad. I think most of the non-flying monsters are Dragon Maul platforms because it it increases their reach and their um, their threat radius so much when they can be so hemmed in by terrain um, that without that ability to to do that that you would need to be able to fly. Yeah. Okay. As of right now, I think that I would love to see a lot of testing and I have some lists that I want to test with the Cygor still to throw rocks. Um, other than that, I, I don't know. I don't have enough experience with monsters post nerf. I think the Terrorgeist is still really defensible. I think the Chimera is obviously still defensible. I think the Cygor is potentially good, but a lot of those corner cases pre nerf where you could say like, Oh, I can slot in a chaos Gargant or a Dankhold Trogoth, one of the really cheap monsters um, just to like, 
take a corner of the board and make it a no-go zone because of Dragon Maul for a couple hundred points. Now they're so expensive that maybe you can't do that anymore. I think that's probably a reasonable take, but I haven't tested it, so that's just purely theoretical. Yeah. Well, let's you know, let's try to make a point to kind of like get a mo- at least one monster game in. I, one reasonable I, monster I have game a whole tub in. full of monsters that I'm bringing. Yeah. And re- the reason why I ask this is, you know, what do I do locally here? You know, obviously the Chimera is still gone. Do we let the rest of the monsters out of the out of jail, so to speak? Locally, is that going to be good for the the local scene? It depends. It depends on what you want to get out of it. If you want it to be a um, something that people can take that experience and go on to bigger tournaments with, you, you want to make sure that the game they're playing is most closely aligned with those. If you want to grow new player experience, you probably don't play monsters at all. I agree. That's me. I think uh, yeah. that even bad monsters will against a player that does not know how to play the game at a reasonably high level will wreck them just by putting so much firepower in one spot. Um, but I don't know. We'll have to, if that's something that will probably evolve as we test, I think. So for those that, that are listening to this on the podcast, you ran a um, Dan Herrera, a.k.a. the Salty Sea, won the tournament with chimera a sloppy biopiper nurglings and five plague bears thousand points eight models narrating that for the podcast listeners there uh as always the best place to uh get our content is going to be the youtube channel that way you can you can see the you can see the hobby updates and you can see the stuff that we're talking about all right i i think that that's that list um there's there's nuance to playing it. Your plague bearers are slow. They don't hit particularly hard, but they're relatively tanky for their points cost and can can really pounce on objectives. There's definitely some uh, skill involved to playing it. But from a list building perspective, it's the scariest model in the game, surrounded by efficient chaff. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, we knew it was going to be. We we knew it was a strong known quantity going into this as well. Yes. And still is. Absolutely. Nothing's changed. This is the list to beat. Uh, another strong list to beat. Destruction Soup. Peter Mersencabbage. Peter has kind of perf- re-perfected his Gloom Spike Gits list now. Uh, we'll, see, we'll see this again here. But uh, he's currently running a Bounder Boss. An Auric Mega Boss. A bolt boy boss for some range out of the cruel boys, and then he's also bringing in some uh, models from uh, from underworlds. He snurk sour tongue is back. We knew he'd be back. Uh, also, prog Veneta from uh, Zarbags gets uh, two stabas with net and a brew gets. So here's here's something worth. This kind of goes back to my previous point. This list is also eight models and does not have a 515-point model, right? That's the difference between spamming that 50-point chaff model and playing these mid-range models. Um, uh, cool tech in this list. Uh, I think it's kind of 
out there, um, kind of as a known quantity, that if you're worried about Brugitz or other buff lords, um, the bold boy boss is a, or, I'm sorry, buff allies um, that, that bring in like movement buffs and that kind of thing. The bold boy boss is a pretty good assassin for low wound models with its ability to crit. Um, you know, if it doesn't move, it can burn a double to crit on force um, and deal four damage per hit uh, at a pretty good range. Um, so it's good at popping those kind of models. And I think that's really worth looking at in your destruction soup lists because brugets aren't going anywhere. Um, and the uh, Bolt Boy boss can definitely, it's hard to hide a Brugit from it and still keep it like in the fray where it can actually use its ability. So that's cool. I like that. Um, Snark Sour Tongue is nutty. Um, Brugit. Prog is, the Netta. Yeah. Prog, so if you're playing, if you're playing Gloom Spike Gets before you run any net stabs with nets, you first off, you take Prog the Netta because he's yes. cheaper tougher just almost strictly superior yes that's that's a takeaway if you're that and that's one of those things it, it's kind of a shame because like that's an underworld's box that can be hard to track down but like if you're playing them if you're gonna play netas you gotta take prog or you're you're giving up value or proxy prog at least yes i mean he's just a netta <laughs> it's not he's not doing anything fancy um the Orc Megaboss, uh, pretty point efficient, just chopper, um, puts out a lot of damage. Um, Snurk, very, very squishy, but good damage, good target for the Brugit as well. So um, the, the folks that have played against Peter, so he has a certain way that he deploys them where he can, pre he, he has a, the group that has Snurk. I can't describe it. I heard someone else describe it though, but there's positioning where like Snurk is protected. There's like no way to really engage Snurk. He's going to be body blocked by like a couple other guys. And then Snurk can just do his work. So he, yeah, Peter knows how to, Peter does know how to play it. He has a lot of experience playing Snurk since 1.0. Is, um, help me out here. Is Peter the, the gets player from Gen Yeah, Peter. Yep. Peter is, Peter took, uh, second place at Gen Con. You played, I played him, in the him in the. I played yep, him in the, the same guy. Yep. And it was very, very tight, and um, went down to the very last round. Um, and this was with fully powered 1.0 spiders. Um, yeah, and that list was absolutely absurd. And uh, we went down to the very, very last activation of the last round for that. He, he's a very, very good gets player. Um. So if you're looking to play gets competitively, I would start kind of from his list and go from there. Um, but you have to be careful with Snark, like we were talking about. He he puts out a ton of damage for his points, but he is very squishy. Um, but yeah, this is a really nice, well-rounded list. It's got speed. It's got heavy hitting power. It's got uh, some nets. It's got range. Yeah, yep. I like this list a lot. Obviously, Destruction Soup is a very deep list, right? Destruction has a lot of good models, and um, when you're just mashing them all together, there's a million different ways to build it, but um, this would be where I would start. All right. Uh, next up, Justin Orton, 3-1. Uh, Justin might have broken the format again, potentially. So uh, this time he brings... 
played in Ogre Maw Tribes, brought two Gut Lords, two Brugits, and then a supporting cast. So two big hammers and and uh, two big, hugely buffed hammers. I was going to say, by big hammers, we mean like some of the, the biggest hammers you can actually take. Yes. Yeah. Um, gut Lords are... are absurd um especially to, in 2.0 where they received a significant buff um over over the 1.0 variant um they received like a whole nother attack like yeah. three good, attacks yeah three attacks buff. strength six five ten damage profile yes and when uh, a brugit is buffing that up they can basically be a chimera um in combat um, because the Chimera's attack profile course is six six five ten, um, at two hundred eighty points. Yeah. So um, he built this list, you know, knowing that Nurgle Chimera was a known quantity and having tested against it. Uh, the whole Gutlord Brugit combo is kind of intended to to combat Chimeras. Gutlord's good at bracketing monsters. Yep. And and what actually what happened? in their in their game in the finals uh justin had a play set up where he was going to try to double bracket the chimera and whiffed on it so uh, those things happen and uh wound up losing the game because of it yep because you do have to make an investment in that right like a gut lord effective as it is in combat is 280 points and buffing it from the brugit does cost dice yep. uh, so it, yeah, it so is it's not like the gut lord can just wander around and kill you do have to set this up to get maximum value out of it. you have to think ahead you have to position well protect your brew gets spend your dice wisely but if you do that the gut lord is obviously just like an insane mega blender so the supporting cast is worth mentioning here as well Agreed. so so you have shriek from black black powder buccaneers and then you're also bringing in lugged and thwack quiv and bushwhacka and then just one regular Noblar. Right, because you ran out of better Noblars. Um, yeah. Uh, but, uh, the, the, yeah, those other Noblars are, have a, a couple more wounds, like eight wounds as opposed to like the six on the Noblar. Or then there's Bushwhacko, which is just five points cheaper, um, plus has an ability. Um, you know, you could he could have spent the five points to get a regular Noblar in there, but took Bushwhacko instead. Um, he does have a trap laying ability that is halfway decent if you get it in the right spot uh quiv you know without uh hrothgorn to buff quiv is just like a pokey noblar but um still has advantages there so now the other thing to keep in mind is shriek so i was wondering i, I was wondering this because so i played him sunday night so after everyone after ev everyone had sort of left the convention and stuff like that i went and grabbed dinner with justin and we played a friendly game it actually was a it was a friendly game, but it was like a two-hour chess match. And I was wondering, why why pay 100 points for a bird? Well, turns out, you know, assuming the bird doesn't die. Which is, uh, yeah. Assuming it doesn't die, or you, you could keep it out of combat, having access to that 10-inch flyer makes a difference. It was like running around. We were, we were playing one of the objective missions, and he was running around like, Dabbing objectives and recapturing them. It was, I I did not kill Shriek until like I think at the very end, and it was very very annoying. So, the hundred points, you might not you might not seem like it. The hundred points was absolutely worth it. 
Um, yeah, that's the thing is if you take a long time looking at you build your armies out of out of efficiency, which is a good way to do it, looking at spreadsheets and coming up with the most efficient models. But sometimes you have a role that needs to be filled. Shriek is not an efficient model, um, but it is an extremely effective role player in a list that that needed some speed. And I think it's a, a really interesting move to slot it in there. Um, because it is just on the surface not a good model, like point for point. But it does something that you need done at a lower cost than bringing in like a um, Hopper Boss, which would be another 10-inch destruction you know, flyer, but at a significantly higher cost. Yeah, so the, yeah, this list absolutely terrifying to play against. The fully buffed Gut Lords really scary uh i played like just burst the gut lords down right their toughness 532 wounds uh i play when i played against them i tried to just completely avoid them yes and just make them a completely you know just treat them like a no-go zone um i was playing them on an objective mission and i was trying to burn down uh i was just playing my skaven right over list and i was trying to burn down his as many of his small guys as possible to kind of equalize the equalize the activation count get a you know kill a brugit when i can uh and it actually came, it was actually very close like he wound up edging me up by one point at the uh at the end of that game yeah and, and i think the big takeaway from this list that justin did to it obviously brugit plus big destruction bruisers a known quantity going into this event double gut lord is not something i saw a lot of people discussing it's a lot harder to avoid the gut lord completely when there's two of them they have two inch range they can use on the maw path to kind of dart mm -hmm. the board um it's a lot harder to avoid than one gut lord or one you know whatever uh iron jaws model you want to use or whatever other big bruiser you could bring in having two of them both at the two inch range can cover a lot of board yep oh the one other thing that justin had noticed i'm going to flip back to the deployments here so, so in a lot of these missions here, the objectives are very close to each other. Like look at power struggle, look at ley lines. You can you can cover a lot, you can cover three objectives with a gut lord, or all four objectives, like and have them within the threat radius of the gut lord. Absolutely. That's, That's and, good noticing and good good list building to the um to the missions. Well, we didn't know what the, we didn't know that these were the missions, but it it turned out that yes, that um, you he was not punished for having just two giant hammers in this case. Where yeah. normally you would probably want to have, you know, ideally, you know, a lot of folks are are doing three large hammers. Yeah. So keeping on going here, we have Flesh Eater Courts, Kyle Smith. Uh, Kyle, uh, I believe Kyle was one of the uh, the two champions from the uh, from the competitive tournaments last year as well. So he knows what he's doing. Um, so he ran the Vargolf Courtier, uh, an abhorrent ghoul king, two crypt horrors, and three crypt ghouls. Nine hundred eighty-five points, seven models. Big takeaways here. We talked earlier that there are a couple of different ways to build flesh eater courts. This is kind of doing two of them at once. It's a, it's a crypt horror list, so it's a cho it's a, not just a crypt horror. It's a chosen of the king list, 
um, which if you're watching this, uh, we have up on the card here. But um, if you have either an abhorrent ghoul king or an abhorrent arc regent and a crypt horror, uh, the Crypt Horrors have, for a uh, for a double, a really good combat buff if they're within six inches of one of those two leader models. And so that's definitely, it, it's it's a good synergistic way to build a model, uh, build uh, a warband. They're quick. Um, that double lets them put out a lot of damage on demand for just a double. Um, another way to build them is building around the big heavy duty flyers and here we see one of the really big ones the bargle of courtier so this list has both um yep. the courtier is is nutty uh does a lot of damage it's very very tanky um also can do some high damage on demand right um, the berserk rage on the Vargulf courtier is a triple so now you're not fighting you have triples and doubles they're not fighting with each other yep and the the other thing is this 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 warband is very fast, um, very fast. The crypt, the crypt horrors. Are... If you check out their stats, uh, six movement, uh, yeah. a mod in modest damage, four four two four attack profile, twenty eight wounds at one eighty five. So fairly affordable. But then they go up to six four two four. If you happen to pop chosen of the king. Yeah. So so you have a little bit of um 28 wounds is is pretty solid for a um a fast model like this uh backed up by the Vargo of courtier you have some good mobile decently hard hitting relatively high wound models it's not doing anything insane in any one direction but this is just a really solid synergistic list with some good speed yep yeah so after seeing this list uh, so I have two flares built, two flying guys, and one crypt horror. And so I was like, well, shoot, I need another crypt horror. And I almost bought a used one, but then I realized that actually what I I also want some vargoils uh, for soul black grave lords. You know, paint them up different color, right? So they're vargoils and not flares. Yep. And so I, I went and so I do have on order a crypt horror or a, a box of crypt horrors that I can to get to build my second crypt horror there. And then I just realized today that, OK, I need a ghoul king now, too, or maybe I'll eventually get the terror guys to get the ghoul king. But, uh, yeah, so I have, you know, the, my flesh eater courts expansion is going to continue. That's probably on the short list for my projects, getting my flesh eater courts updated for some of these lists we've seen now in, in 2.0. All right, next up. Oh, I like all, this one. Oops, all Trogoths by Michael Samps by Michael Sansom. Uh, and actually, I met Michael. I hung up with him and the do and the Dogs of Warcry guys. Shout out to the Dogs of Warcry crew who put on the narrative event on uh, on Friday as well. They're they're all great. And then Michael, also from Madison, <clears throat> another great guy. I hung up with him. Super friendly. Uh, yeah, oops, all Trogoths. So I, I, we've seen this concept before, and uh, he performed with it here. So it's 330 points, Malog the Mighty, uh, two Rock Gut Trogoths, uh, a Fellwater Trogoth, and then filling out the list with a Brugit. There's the Brugit again. And, of course, Prog the Netta. Six models, 995 points. What do you think? So a uh, number one takeaway from this list to me and i'm a guy that loves molog the mighty i have molog the mighty painted up and ready to go 
Um, compare him at 330 points to a gut lord at 280 points. He has three more wounds, one less attack, and the same damage profile. You are paying a lot of points for his abilities. A lot. <laughs> because you lose a whole attack and add 50 points. Um, well, keep in mind, so even though even though what we're seeing here is a, is a 2.0 mock-up of the card, Monologue is still pointed as a, a very unique 1.0 model. This is true, but even then he was very similar to a Gutlord because back then a Gutlord only had two attacks, so he had the exact same attack profile as a Gutlord. But I don't think it's a I don't think it's a fair comparison here. It, this is like this is a, obviously a, like a theme list. Well, I'm looking at it from a competitive standpoint. I'm saying why take? I, I'm getting into why you would take Molog over the Gutlord, even though it's fifty points more for an inferior okay. statted <laughs> model. So uh, it's a fair comparison because this list, you could build this exact same list with a gut lord in it. Um, literally, you because the, the, the Trogoths are thralls uh, for destruction. Uh, you just couldn't get prog. Um, but my point is, is that this could have been an ogre's list with a gut lord, but it's not. It's a Molog list. So, so what Molog brings to the table is his ability to plant the that zone of minus one attack um and you couple that with the fact that he has 35 wounds and that the um the trogoths have 28 wounds all high toughness and you actually have a very very survivable warband especially in that minus one attack zone by the spite shroom i don't remember which one it is that's an interesting way to play. You 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 can advance forward and put down this zone and then just have your Trogoth like rampage around in it, and they're gonna be really hard to kill. Um and, and I think that's cool. Um, if you're going for straight killiness, a gutlord's a better choice, but you can build this really thematic list and have a really interesting play style with it that's different than a lot of other destruction lists because of that kind of zone control way they can play. And I think that's cool. And obviously the brew gets really good here. Brew gets really good at pumping up Rocka Trogoths and really good at pumping up Molog. Really uh, good at pumping up Molog, right? Yeah. I think that's I think that's really kind of like the secret sauce here, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Because the, that that's the thing that that's the the unique capabilities that Molog brought in 1.0, I still like wasn't in love with because that two attacks. But like Bruget solves that problem. Yes. He does. And if Molog is not in the place where you need to use that ability, a uh, Raka Trogoth is a perfectly serviceable place to toss a uh, Brugate activation for a turn or two um, with another very good attack profile. So um, Coolish, very tanky. That's the thing to take away from this list is that Trogoths are hard to kill, Molog's hard to kill, and um, the Brugate can put out some good burst damage. For only six models, um to get to put up two wins and two draws no losses um in a format that we were all kind of kicking around like you want seven eight nine ten models it, it's it shows it goes to show you can win games with lists like this if you build them synergistically and play to their strengths yeah mathematically 202 is the same as three and one uh, again it, 
and then the the breakers are kind of based on your majors and minors. But yeah, I'm just I'm just capturing the the overall record. And then finally, so to round out our 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 top lists, three and one or better uh, from Adepticon, we have Eric Oakland uh, with KO. So he's running Endron Master with Endron Harness, uh, a Mizzen Master, two Thunderers with Ether Cannons, uh, an Endon Ringer, Endon Rigger with Rivet Gun and Saw, and he's got four Arcanauts with pistols, thousand points, and uh, nine models. The big takeaway here, of course, and Warren also has it up on the card, is Fight for Profit. Fight for Profit is a nutty build around triple um from Karajan Overlords that uh it's an AoE attack buff which is not uncommon in this game you know a lot of leaders have AoE attack buffs um but this is the only one that affects ranged it's the only one that affects range and it can add up to it can add two attacks under some very common circumstances if they're carrying a treasure or within three inches of an objective and in games where you want your models most of the time is by the treasure, by the objective. So you don't have to go out of your way to turn that ability on, right? Um, something interesting, we talked a little bit earlier about how the objectives are close together and how you can cover them with a two-inch range on the Gut Lord. You can cover them when all your models shoot. Not all of them. The Engine Master doesn't. Um, but when the rest of your eight of your models shoot, you can park them on one objective and pour a withering amount of fire onto the other objective with fight for profit and make it really hard to hold that other objective while you're scoring points on a different objective. That's very efficient. You're getting a lot of efficiency out of your models that way. Um, so all the few of the common things we're kind of seeing now in all these KO lists, right? So we're seeing a lot of the Mizzen Master Salty ran the Mizzen Master in his Nova list. Uh, we've seen Mizzen Master in a few other KO lists. So as it as the it's glassy at uh, at uh, twenty wounds, but they all are. Yeah, all of yeah, the flyers it, are kind of glassy that way. But for two hundred fifty for two hundred fifty points, it's the glassiest. But uh, uh, still very common to use, and also has the mobility to to run around and the hero rune mark to kind of give you fight for profit where you need it. And then the other thing here is the uh, the Aether Cannon, right? The range profile on the Aether Cannon is just one attack, strength 5, 5, 10. So you're, you're building around Fight for Profit there with two Aether Cannons and two sources for of uh, Fight for Profit. Yes. Uh, the um, Enden Rigger with the Rivet Gun and Saw is another like mid-range flyer, just a cheaper flyer, uh, not with the Hero Rune Mark. So you have two heroes, you have two flyers. Um, you have four just chaff guys with the pistols. And I should also mention that Eric, uh, I believe, also came from uh, Madison and also placed in Salty's tournament, not the one that we're going to cover here, but Salty's first tournament back in like January or February with this same list. So if you're going to start to play Caradron Overlords, this is probably the place that I would start. I think your list, did you run two either cannon double fight for profit as well in yours i i have an either cannon and a grunstock mortar and double okay. fight for profit yeah the different the main difference in mine is that i have 
a, a split in my heavy weapons. The Grunstock Mortar is really good. Um, it is really, really good at deleting um, mid-range or less models like, say, 100 points or less off the board from the very first battle round. Um, it's not quite as good with Fight for Profit, but it, it, it's just a really good model. Um, and I have the um, Arknot Admiral uh, instead of the Engine Master. I like the Arknot Admiral because he can shoot um, as well as has a, a similar uh, attack melee profile. But the, the core idea is the same, right? Arknots are privateers are really, really good. They're really, really efficient. Fight for Profit is really good when all your models shoot. Um, Aether cannons backed up with Fight for Profit can are a real like existential threat to any model in the game. Um, it does not take many hits or crits from an Aether cannon to just absolutely wreck the vast majority of even high point models in the game at a decent distance. Um, it's a cool list, and I think it's very scary list, especially um, on these multi-objective, closely grouped objective missions where your Arknots can sit and shoot and sit and shoot um, all game and score points. Yeah, with his performances, I'd say like this is like your 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 stock list or maybe like your list to beat if you're gonna like if you need to play test against Caradron Overlords. I, I agree 100. I think you can tweak it uh, to your personal taste, but start here for sure. Um, you know, there's some things you can say if you want to shoot the um, engine uh, engine master with um, dirigible suit. The flying engine master uh, is a is a better shooter than the mizzen master. The mizzen master, you know, um, is 25 points cheaper but has a worse shooting profile. Uh, so there's 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 places there's there's knobs you can tune right. But the core mm -hmm. strategy here is is I think what Caradron Overlords does well. And building to its strength, this is this is the bones to kind of hang that on. All right. So before we go on and look at more lists, this kind of covers some takeaways from Adepticon. So we already kind of talked about that Chimera. Is it too strong? Um, we won't belabor that point anymore. Uh, here's something else, though. So people are kind of up in arms a little bit about Brugit. Uh, Brugit, the Brugit-Gorger combo, Brugit-Malog, just Brugit in general um what do you think about that plus three attacks for a double um it's obviously very very good um it, it's 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 nutty um is it too good uh, the ability is really really good the model that it comes on is relatively fragile um but i think he is Brugit has 12 wounds yeah, I, I, 12 wounds for 70 team. points it's it's you're not going to be taking that out in one shot typically it depends on what you're attacking it with right but um it compared think, to other chaff compared to other chaff profiles where you typically like your toughest chaff is like 10 wounds sure but i mean it's 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 toughness three 12 wounds um I don't know. Maybe, maybe a little bit. Maybe it's a little bit on the high side. Um, you could probably reasonably change it to half the value of the ability, like other abilities like this. It would actually at times make it better, but it would be way less consistent. Yeah, maybe. 
yeah, getting a high double isn't too hard, but I don't know. I I don't I really don't know about that. It's I'm kind of asking just rhetorically. It's definitely one of the better things. We've we've obviously known it's one of the best things you can be doing in the game right now is playing Grugets. Is it too good? I don't know. I don't know. Um, because you know if if it gets nerfed or or brought down, right, then something else becomes the best thing, and then I was going to say going to complain about that. To right. to 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 bring up another magic comparison. Necropotence. Um, well. Yeah, and every ban everything till necropotence is good. Then ban and necropotence. then ban necropotence. Right. Um, something has to be the best thing. Um, is Bruget as far as being one of the best things to do? Is Bruget a healthy best thing? I think it probably is relatively healthy. Um, it's certainly a healthier best thing than chimera being the best thing to do right like that is an unhealthy that's a metagame warping direction to go bruget is just sort of like an efficient way to fight with on an axis that we're already kind of fighting on i i err towards the side of it probably being okay and there's ways to counterplay it but um we're gonna have to see yeah uh Another thing I kind of noticed when kind of putting this together, not just Bruget, but just attack buffs in general. You had Fight for Profit also being very strong. Well, and this is something that we not, talked about. Yeah, not that not that I'm calling for a Fight for Profit nerf. Sure, just sure. like, you know, things things to do, th things to build your warbands around. Something that we talked about when we talked about the Varengard. Um, if you mm -hmm. move, pop um relentless killers yep. and attack you have gotten functionally a free action on a double right right a brugit on a double adding three attacks to a model with two or three attacks to begin with is a free action on a double right Rosen king can do that bargo of courtier berserk does that too um fight for profit if you affect a model, or even if you only hit one other model, but you're usually not, you're going to hit two or three other models with it, um, and add even plus one attack, you're getting a free activation worth of, of attack. So basically, long story short, is activations are good, and getting them for doubles or even triples um, yes. is one of the is the best thing you can be doing. Is getting more activations out of nothing but dice. Not having to spend absolutely, points. yeah. I have a, I have a few points on that. I was going to put together for a, another for another podcast as well. I haven't gotten those thoughts on paper yet, but you you know you might you might hear from me on another uh, cast talking about that exact same uh, concept. So I guess the takeaway here for me is if you're looking to build competitive lists, look for those. It doesn't have to say gets an extra action to add an extra action worth of, of value of value, but look for those cases where you can get activations worth out of things that don't cost points. Um, yep. And like that polls, is a, like, like the poll, right? Dragon mall or any other polls that we like, all like slaughter priest effectively yes. turn into a, a effectively turn into an attack. Yes, that's exactly right. So those are, efficiencies and 
identifying those correctly and thinking of them in that way will help you build efficient and and effective lists. That's my big takeaway. All the lists we're looking at here, not all of them, a lot of them um, are built around that as a fundamental concept, getting cheating on activations, basically getting more activations than it look than if you have nine models, they're getting more than nine activations out of their list. Couple of other things. Uh, we'll see a few more examples here, but uh, the return of underworlds. Uh, we'll see a few more underworlds here in the other list that we talk about, but it's cool to see underworlds back and making an impact. Yeah, very cool. I think underworlds having Warcry rules is one of the best things they've done for the game. It's good in a lot of different directions at once. It's good for new players. It's good for existing players to expand their collections. It's good to add more interesting models to the game because the underworld models tend to be good. Um, it's awesome. It took way too long to get this clarity from Games Workshop, but now that we have it, it's it's good to have. Yeah, it's only good for the game. And then another point, we'll see more of this here as we go throughout this. We're about halfway through, actually. <laughs> we got more. But uh, another thing is just cheap chaff, uh, plague bearers, uh, dwarves, that sort of thing. And we're going to see more of that as well. A lot more dwarves. Another way to get that cheat on activations mentality is if you are buying a cheap dwarf model for 60, 70, 80 points, and it takes your opponent two to, attack actions to take them out because they have 12 wounds with a model that costs more than 60 points you're way up on act that's like virtual activation advantage right again yep. it doesn't say anywhere in that interaction that somebody's up or down in activation right it's not like oh you're that's in activation but you're up activations and your opponent is down activation that is a that is a that is a really good point I hadn't thought about. I I generally think of just matchups, uh, but not the actual not the actual effect of like getting virtual activation advantage from matchups. I yeah. I do think about matchups all the time though, right? Like I don't match up chaff versus chaff. I match up one of my guys that's very efficient at murdering chaff with the opposing chaff models. What does a what does a deathmaster cost? One eighty five cost 185 points how often can it one shot a five toughness 12 wound chaff model uh less likely than you think so 185 points you're paying three times more for that than i'm paying for my 60 point hammerer hammerer no the 60 point dwarf yeah um I, and we, we got him we got him yeah we got him later here one sec it's taking you two activations to delete it, right? Like there's iron breakers. Iron breaker. Look at that stat line. Look at that. It's outrageous. It is offensive. <laughs> how we how were gonna that we is. were gonna talk about this later, but we can talk about yeah, we can talk about this now since you know the the sub theme of this, if you hadn't noticed by the uh, by the thumbnail, is is uh, dwarves, dwarves, dwarves everywhere. So, so I guess I could, I could belabor this point and I could probably spend a whole podcast talking about it, but the, the scarce resource in Warcry 
to me when, when thinking about how to um, be as efficient as possible. It's not points. Everyone has the same amount of points. And you can get on a spreadsheet and find the most efficient models for your points. And that's a great way to go. But in the game, the thing you're always scrambling for is activations. Activations, activations, activations. You need activations to move on to objectives. You need activations to kill opposing models. You need activations to do anything. Any or, exchange. Or just, or just having first mover advantage. Yeah. Yes. I, I feel that in 2.0 because I'm playing Skaven with seven models and I'm going up against bespoke warbands with nine models and struggling because they have nine models. Nine models. It's raw activate. It doesn't matter what the models are in this conversation. It's just they have more activations than you do. So you, the burden immediately shifts to you to do something about that, right? Which fortunately and, I can usually do with rat ogres and such. But yes, but my, my first order of business in any game is typically to earn, acti if I don't have activation advantage, try to get it or lever or or further widen the lead on activation advantage yes and then usually that's, the object and then usually i'll win the game after that the that's the axis that you're scrambling over and when you can build up virtual activation advantage by throwing out a wall of iron breakers and being like have fun chewing through these the effect is significant and it it, it cascades throughout the rest of the entire game because your opponent that you look, okay, I have nine models, you have nine models, cool. You come and kill my models, wait. I just burned six activations and killed two models. Now it's like, that's great, but you, those activations are precious and you're, you're trying to burn out these 60 point models. Um, it's look for those ability, look for those ways to gain those, those activations worth of value i guess is is the takeaway here and one of the ways to do that is to play cheap tanky chaff and the best cheap tanky chaff in the game is these dwarves yeah the iron breaker 60 points toughness 5 12 wounds we'll 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 double back and talk about a couple of lists with the iron breakers though this concludes part one of our list review we're going to take a short intermission here and come back and cover other lists from events leading up to Adepticon that follow a lot of the same concepts we've talked about. See you after the break.